Is there any hope for America as we become an increasingly secular and pagan nation? Have we passed the point of no return? Is God ready to move us from judgment to destruction? Stay tuned for a powerful response to these questions by Robert Jeffress, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. This is the sixth in a series of seven programs we are presenting regarding the signs of the times that indicate we are living in the season of the Lord's return. All the programs are featuring presentations were made at our annual Bible conference whose theme was Living on Borrowed Time. In this program, we're going to show you a portion of a powerful presentation that was made at the conference by Robert Jeffress, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. He spoke about what he called America's Coming Implosion. Here now is a portion of his presentation. I believe America's collapse is inevitable. I came to understand why this is true just a couple of years ago. In the preparation for the building of our new campus that Dr. Reagan talked about, we had to first of all uh, get rid of six buildings we had consisting of about 500 or 600,000 square feet in the middle of downtown Dallas to pave way for the new campus. And so that was the question, how do you get rid of 600,000 square feet of space, five buildings in the middle of downtown Dallas, without bringing down the surrounding skyscrapers? And so the demolition people met with me, and they said, the best way to achieve this is through an implosion. And they explained to me what they were going to do. They were going to take 200 pounds of dynamite and attach the dynamite to key structural supports within those five buildings. They would then explode the dynamite, there would be a pause, and then the law of physics would take over. Without those foundational supports, the building would fall in on itself under its own weight. I said, well, that sounds pretty good to me. Let's try it. (laughs) And so on a brisk October morning in 2010, they closed down downtown Dallas And I and the mayor and the building committee chairman were on a nearby rooftop along with all of the media, CNN, Fox News, everyone covering this, and we were ready to implode those buildings. Now, this was going out live on Fox and Friends that morning around the world. Other outlets were there, and so we did the countdown, five, four, three, two, one. The mayor and I pressed the ceremonial red button, and soon in the next block we heard the explosions going off just like they predicted. And those explosions were followed by nothing. (laughs) Absolutely nothing. I cannot tell you what went through my mind over those next few seconds. It was, who am I going to fire first? I mean, I could just see this scene being replayed endlessly on YouTube. Pastor's implosion, a dud. 
I mean, it seemed like forever. But you see, I had forgotten what the demolition people told me. They told me there was going to be a pause between those explosions. And suddenly, without any warning, I heard a sound that could only be compared to standing in front of a jet engine. As the roar increased in volume, and suddenly we watched as those once mighty buildings fell in on themselves, and within 30 seconds were reduced to nothing more than a plume of debris-filled dust. I learned something that morning about implosions. They're sudden. They're dramatic. They begin with a series of unrelated explosions, followed by a pause, and then a sudden collapse. Ladies and gentlemen, over the last 50 years, our Supreme Court has made three explosive decisions that have so weakened the moral and spiritual structure and foundation of our country that our inevitable collapse is certain. Right now, we're simply living between that time of the explosions that have weakened our basic foundation and the coming implosion. What are those three decisions? These three decisions have changed the direction of our country more than any congressional mandate, more than any executive order from the chief executive officer, the president of the United States. Here are these three decisions. Decision number one, I call it explosion number one, was the Supreme Court case in 1962 of Engel versus Vitale. This is the case that removed... Uh, the saying of a voluntary 22-word prayer in the public schools. A simple 22-word voluntary prayer was deemed unconstitutional. And of course, it's from that decision, Engel versus Vitale, that all the other court decisions cascaded, showing governments not neutrality toward religion, but governments' hostility toward religion, and specifically its hostility toward the Christian religion. From that decision, eventually came the decision, of course, in 1980, the Stone versus Graham decision that removed the posting of the Ten Commandments from public schools. Specifically, that case had to do with the posting of the Ten Commandments in Kentucky schools. And what was the court's reasoning from removing the reading of the Ten Commandments, the posting of them in the public schools? If I were to paraphrase this for you, you would think I was making it up. So I want to read to you the Supreme Court's decision and their reasoning for removing the posting of the Ten Commandments. The court said, quote, if the posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will induce the school children to read, meditate upon, perhaps venerate and obey the commandments. This is not a permissible state objective under the Establishment Clause of the First Amendment. If we post the Ten Commandments, children may actually read, venerate, and heaven forbid, obey them. That is not constitutional. Now that was in 1980. In a strange twist of irony, 17 years later, 1997, in the hallways of Heath High School in Paducah, Kentucky, A group of students were meeting together as they always met together before the lockers, before school began to have a time of prayer. And as those students were praying together with their eyes closed, 
A 14-year-old approached them with a handgun and started opening fire, seriously wounding five students and killing three. This all occurred in a public school hallway where the Supreme Court 17 years earlier had said, you cannot post the words, thou shalt not kill. Now, even if the Supreme Court had ruled correctly, that doesn't change God's law. You see, God's law never changes. But the fact is, the Supreme Court did not rule correctly. Listen, 118 years earlier, the Supreme Court had said in the case of Adal versus Gerard's executors, why may not the Bible, especially the New Testament, without note or comment, be read and taught as a divine revelation in the school? Its general precepts expounded, its evidences explained, and its glorious principles of morality inculcated. Where can the purest principles of morality be learned so clearly or so perfectly as from the New Testament? That's what the Supreme Court said a hundred years earlier. Now you have to ask yourself the question, what's changed? The Constitution hasn't changed. What has changed is our culture. We have allowed the liberal activists to pervert the meaning of the First Amendment. Let's be clear about what the First Amendment says and what it doesn't say. The First Amendment, commonly known as the Establishment Clause, says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That amendment simply says Congress cannot establish a state church. You cannot establish a state church, nor can you prohibit the free exercise of religion. And yet we have people who have perverted that into meaning that there is some imaginary freedom from religion that is found in the Constitution. Did you see here in our Metroplex just a couple of weeks ago, a Joshua High School student who was valedictorian dared to violate the school's regulation, and instead he mentioned Jesus Christ in his speech. He was threatened that he was going to have his career at the Naval Academy ruined because he did such a thing. And the public school district lawyer said this. They said, we have to balance this student's right and freedom of religion with other students' freedom from religion. Where is that in the Constitution? There is no constitutional guarantee that somebody doesn't have to listen to a prayer at a graduation ceremony or see a nativity scene in the public square or look at the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. That is nowhere in the Constitution. What the Constitution says is everyone is free to practice his or her religion. Listen, all the Congress said was you cannot establish a state denomination. It had nothing to say about government showing preference toward Christianity. It said you just can't establish a state religion and make everybody go to one denomination versus another. You said, now, Pastor, how do you know that? How do you know such a thing? It's very clear historically. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story was appointed to the Supreme Court by James Madison in 1811. Justice Story was, was appointed by the man who is known as the architect of the Constitution, James Madison. And I want you to listen to what Justice Story said about the First Amendment in his commentary on American law. He said the real object of the First Amendment was not to countenance, much less to advance Islam or Judaism or infidelity by prostrating Christianity. 
But the purpose was to exclude all rivalry among Christian sects, Christian denominations, and to prevent any national ecclesiastical establishment which should give a hierarchy the exclusive patronage of the national government. That's all the First Amendment is about. You can't uh, elevate the Methodist above the Baptist or the Episcopalians. That's all it is saying. But we have perverted the First Amendment to mean something that it is never intended to mean. But ladies and gentlemen, even if the Supreme Court had ruled correctly in the last 50 years, do you think that changes God's mind? Do you think when God looks at America... He says, oh, well, I'm going to treat you differently than any other nation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to offend some of you. God doesn't get chill bumps when he hears the star-spangled banner. Did you know that? (laughs) God is not a respecter of people or nations. Any nation that reverences God is going to be blessed by God. And any nation that rejects God including the United States, will be rejected by God. Principle number two. Explosive decision number two. It resulted right here from the Metroplex. 1973, Roe versus Wade. The decision that has resulted now in the murder of 50 million children in the womb. By the way, whenever I'm on television talking about this, I never allow the phrase to be used, a woman's right to choose, without completing the sentence. It's a woman's right to choose to murder her child. Don't let anybody else get by without completing that full sentence. That's what this is about. And that's what Roe v. Wade has done. It has sanctioned the killing of unborn children. Now, I know what the conventional wisdom, I heard it during the last election cycle. We're going to hear it in 2014 and 2016. And that is the American people don't care about social issues anymore. All they care is about the economy. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you can't separate economic issues from moral and spiritual issues. In my book, Twilight's Last Gleaming, I cite a study that says that if the 50 million children who have been killed in the last 50 years, if those 50 million children had been allowed to live and grow up and become productive citizens, they would have added anywhere from 35 to $70 trillion to our gross national product. If those 50 million children had been allowed to grow up and live and contribute to society, there would be no Social Security crisis. There would be no Medicare crisis. They would have been paying into the system. You cannot slaughter 20% of your population. No nation can without severe economic repercussions. Ladies and gentlemen, the economic repercussions of abortion pale into significance to the most heinous and disastrous result of abortion, and that is the certainty of God's judgment. All you have to do is to look at history and see how God has dealt with nations that killed its children. The Old Testament, God raised up the Assyrians and the Babylonians to judge Israel for participating in child sacrifice. During the Second World War, God raised up the Allied forces to crush Nazi Germany for taking children to the gas chambers by the carloads and the trainloads. Looking at history, does anybody have to wonder how God's going to deal with a nation like ours that sanctions the killing of children? Explosive decision number three was Lawrence and Garner versus the state of Texas in 2003. This is the law 
This is the Supreme Court decision that struck down our state's anti-sodomy laws. But it was the beginning domino that we're seeing continued even as late as this Wednesday. What is interesting is, in that decision in 2003, Justice Scalia at that time said, this ruling, quote, leaves on pretty shaky ground state laws limiting marriage to opposite-sex couples, end of quote. Justice Scalia was being prophetic. In fact, it was the reasoning of that court in 2003 that led to this Wednesday's DOMA decision that struck down a part of the Defense of Marriage Act. What you need to understand is, ladies and gentlemen, for 226 years, our judiciary has understood that the relationship between a man and a woman is what constitutes marriage, and it is the bedrock of social order. James Kent, who served as Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, wrote in his commentary on American law, the primary and most important of the domestic relations is that of husband and wife. It has as its foundation in nature and is the only relation by which providence has permitted the continuance of the human race. If you heard me Wednesday night on O'Reilly, I was debating a uh, former Clinton advisor who is uh, a homosexual who, along with his partner, has adopted a child. And uh, I reminded him that in 1885, the Supreme Court in Murphy versus Ramsey said, quote, marriage is a holy union consisting of a man and a woman. And it went on to say it is from that relationship that everything good in nature proceeds. Now, my question Wednesday night was, what has changed in 130 years since 1885? Certainly the Constitution hasn't changed. What has changed is the culture. And what we saw last Wednesday night was the Supreme Court has caved to political correctness. Now, you know, people say, even Christians, well, so what? What harm is it to me if homosexuals want to get married? How does that hurt me? Well, first of all, it's not all about you and me. It's about society. But the fact is, it does harm society. The Hoover Institute has done, done long-term studies on Scandinavian countries that legalize same-sex marriage. Do you know what they found? They found that in countries that legalize same-sex marriage, the rate of heterosexual marriage dropped precipitously. And the reason is obvious. If marriage becomes anything you want it to be, why bother to get married at all? You saw last week that our marriage rate has dropped to the lowest level it has, has been in a century. And so you create tremendous instability in society when you allow that to happen. You know, it is interesting to me, I quoted Sarah McClanahan, a Princeton sociologist, who said, if we were trying to devise a system in which a child's basic needs would be most well met, it would be in a situation where the child is connected to both biological parents. That sounds a lot like a family to me, doesn't it? God knew what he was talking about. God's the one who designed the family. And ladies and gentlemen, even though Supreme Court opinions change, even though culture changes, God's word never changes. He is the one who designed marriage, and he knows how it best operates. Now, my point in citing these three cases is simply this. No nation that outlaws the acknowledgement of God in the public square, that sanctions the killing of unborn children, and destroys the most basic unit of society, the family, no nation can survive that. The explosions have already occurred. 
The implosion is coming. We are simply living in that in-between time. Now, the question is, how are we as Christians to respond to that? Now, I want to suggest to you that we turn to the words of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who told us exactly how we are to respond in this culture. In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Jesus said our first responsibility as believers is to act as salt. Now, you know in Jesus' day, salt was a preservative. In the day before refrigerator refrigerators, salt was the way not to prevent the rotting of meat, but to delay the decay of the meat. Now, what salt did was simply give the meat a little longer shelf life. Eventually, the meat would rot and would have to be discarded. The salt delayed that process. And what Jesus was saying is this. He said, you're not going to prevent the ultimate destruction of this culture. You know what, ladies and gentlemen? America is going to end because this world is going to end. That's why we know America's days are numbered, because this world's days are numbered. And Dr. Reagan, I don't know exactly if you agree with me on this or not, but my own reading of the book of Revelation is not only is America going to end, but America is going to end at least seven years before the rest of the world ends. Because when I look at that final form of government in the world during the last seven years, it is a dictatorship under Antichrist in which there's no freedom of commerce, no freedom of speech, no freedom of religion, which means when the Antichrist takes power and that ten-nation confederacy, there will be no U.S. Constitution at that time. Our Constitution will have had to have been done away with by that point, and once the Constitution ceases to exist, America ceases to exist. The fact is, America's days are numbered. We're not going to prevent that, but we can delay it. They say, wait a minute, Robert, don't you believe in the sovereignty of God? Don't you believe God has fixed on his calendar the date of America's destruction, and there's not one thing you can do to destroy that and change that? Don't you believe that? I believe it until I read my Bible. (laughs) Specifically, the book of Jonah. God said to Jonah, I'm going to destroy the wicked city of Nineveh. But then Jonah 3.10 says God changed his mind. God relented of his decision. Now, look, I don't understand that. That's above my pay grade. It's one of my long list of questions to ask God about when I get up there. But here's what I know when I read the book of Jonah. Because of the righteous preaching of Jonah, God delayed his destruction of Nineveh. Now, God ultimately did destroy Nineveh. We know that historically. But he delayed the destruction, giving more people time to repent because of the actions of Jonah. And what I believe Jesus is saying to us is, we're not going to prevent the destruction of America, but we can delay it so that we have more opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe God has called us as Christians to stand up and push back against the tide of evil and immorality that is sweeping our country. I tell you, I am sick and tired of these wimpy Christians who mask their timidity and lack of courage with some type of pseudo-spirituality that says, well, you know, we're just not citizens of this world. We're citizens of heaven, and, you know, we just need to let the world uh, take its course. Look, God never encouraged us to engage in silo-spirituality, to separate our faith from the rest of what's happening in this world. 
And the fact is, there are a lot of people in your church right now, perhaps even your pastor, who think for a Christian to use his faith to try to influence other people or unbelievers or the course of this nation, well, that's un-American, un-Christian, and it may be illegal. Listen, Jesus Christ is not just Lord of the church. He is Lord over all creation. Jesus isn't just interested in religious people and religious institutions. Jesus is interested in every institution, and he's interested in government as well. Whenever you say that God doesn't want us to influence our culture, just start looking at the Bible itself. Look at men of God like Jonah and David and Jeremiah and Isaiah and in the New Testament, John the Baptist. When you look at the ministries of those men, they didn't just preach to themselves. They just didn't preach to God's own people. These men of God were willing to stand up in an ungodly culture and they were willing to confront ungodly leaders and say without stuttering or stammering, thus saith the Lord. And we need men of God today to do the same. We need men of God who will stand up and say compassionately yet courageously, abortion is murder. Homosexuality is a perversion of God's plan for human sexuality. And God will reject any nation that rejects him. You know, when you say that Christians shouldn't try to influence society, you're completely negating what Jesus said. He said, we are the salt of the earth. How do we influence the world? How do we push back against immorality? It's by engaging in that dirty, filthy word called politics. Now, you know, I hear this all the time. Christians shouldn't get involved in politics. You know what the word politics means? The word means to influence, to control. When you say Christians shouldn't get involved in politics, what you're saying is Christians should not try to influence the society in which they live. Can anybody say that with a straight face and believe it? I mean, let me ask you three questions. Do you believe God cares about 50 million children being murdered in the womb? Do you think God has any opinion about that? Do you think God cares about the rampant immorality that's sweeping our land? Do you think God cares at all about his name being outlawed from mention in the public square? If you've answered yes, you've just explained why Christians ought to be involved in politics. What you have just seen is only a portion of the presentation that Pastor Jeffress made at our conference. The entire presentation is contained in this video album, Living on Borrowed Time. In just a moment, our announcer will tell you how you can get a copy of the album. Next week, the Lord willing, we will present a portion of the final presentation in this series. It is one that I made about the significance of the Israeli military in end-time Bible prophecy. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, Look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Get your DVD copy of the 2013 Lamb and Lion Bible Conference, Living on Borrowed Time, for a gift of $25 or more, and that includes the cost of shipping. The DVD album contains three DVDs, which contains all six featured speakers. In addition to Dr. David Reagan's presentation, you'll receive Nathan Jones speaking on the end-time sign of technology. Ron Rhodes addresses the sign of apostasy in the church. Don McGee emphasizes the prophetic significance of Israel. Alan Franklin discusses the rise of the European Union, and Pastor Robert Jeffers speaks on the impending implosion of America. To place your order, call the number you see on the screen Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Central Time, or order online at lamblion.com. 
We would like to invite you to attend our annual Bible conference, which is scheduled July 15th and 16th at a conference center in the Dallas, Texas area. The theme of this year's conference is Great Debates of Bible Prophecy. You can find more detailed information about the conference on our website at lamblion.com, or you can call our office at the number you see on the screen between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus. 